to episode 53 of the Brown and Black podcast. My name is Jack Rico. And I'm Mike Sargent. And every week we take a look at race and pop culture through a brown and black lens. Mike. We got an interesting episode today. Yes, we do. It's a return to to culture. We've been away for it for a minute. Yeah, because the because the world's gone crazy since 2020 <laughs> up to now in a way that we never it was like a perfect storm. Everything hit 2020 and now we're just feeling the shock waves. You know like when Chernobyl or like, you know, Hiroshima got hit with the nuclear bomb that the reverberations lasted years, right? Dude, yeah, yeah. We're going to go through the reverberations of 2020 for years, probably like into late into the decade. 2020 was like a tsunami. So so the, <laughs> the, the waves are still cascading across civilization. But first, we're going to be talking to our featured guest today. He is musician Yasser Tejeda. He's Dominican. And Mike, you had a chance to interview him solo. What can you tell me from this very young, talented man? Well, he's an amazingly talented young man. He is a Dominican musician, composer, singer, songwriter who has, he's done a number of different kinds of music. He's classically trained, but he, what he's really done because of the breadth of his musical knowledge is he's combined all kinds of cultural backgrounds, specifically his Afro-Latino backgrounds, into a musical journey. It's really, it's really something. It's something that, especially in this time, you know, you're what things that you say to me stay with me. And you talk about how much you like beauty, and you will love Yasser because his music is beautiful. <laughs> I like that music, Mike. It's a uh, it's the type of music that yes, I like. Yes, I thought it's, of you. <laughs> it has Latin in it, has the world in it. But before we talk to Yasser, Mike, we got to talk about the biggest movie hitting theaters this week: Black Widow. You don't know everything about me. I've lived a lot of lives before I was an Avenger, before I got this family. I made mistakes choosing between what the world wants you to be. And who you are. back to where it all started. Where did you think I was all this time? We have unfinished business. My girls are the toughest girls in the world. I'm sorry. We had our orders and we played our roles. It wasn't real. But it was real to me. To me, you were everything. Rainer, 
on top. Such a win. One thing's for sure. I'm done running from my past. So now what's happening with studios is that their publicists are now, instead of just sending press critics, film critics, to go watch their movies exclusively in theater, there's an option to send the big movie like Black Widow as a digital screener that you can watch at home. Mike, what did you choose? Before I even tell you, I, of course, chose being at home because I'm a total hermit. All right, but, <laughs> so but I. <laughs> I do want to give a little context to what you're saying, because what's interesting is we're just edging into the summer, which and we're just edging into the period New York has lifted all the restrictions and whatnot. But any indoor environment has some sort of guidelines. But what's interesting is Disney is an industry leader. And for them specifically to be giving an option is interesting. I'm now, of course, they do have a streaming component. Quiet Place 2, I had to see it in the theater. It was the first movie I saw in like 15 months in the theater, but they would not give out screeners. But that wasn't Disney, though. No, that wasn't Disney. That's Paramount. So there you go. So interesting, interesting. Well, we got a chance to see Black Widow. And listen, the luster of the like the 7.1 Dolby Atmos, you know, you're not going to get that at home. It was nevertheless... Very entertaining, this film. Now, did I love it? I didn't love it. I liked it. What were your thoughts initially? I liked it. I did not love it. I felt it went off the rails a bit a few times. But here's what's interesting. Uh, and I'm going to always use this term now because I, I read about it. I was I was doing research for something and I came across this phrase. And it's a phrase to describe something real. And they talked about emotional contagions. And I love that because that's what going to see a movie is with an audience. There's an, and so without that component, certain kinds of movies, scary movies, comedies, action movies, they lose a little something. Interesting. So you're, so it's like playing sports without the crowd. Exactly. Which is like, what, it lacks something. Yes. L lacks that, that power, that emotional contagion. That emotional contagion. Well, we got a chance to see it regardless, nevertheless, uh, in our own individual's homes. And I'm mixed about Black Widow. Here's what I did like about it. What I liked about Black Widow was the performances of the actors were incredible. David Harbour as the dad of, Absolutely. of Black Widow was hilarious. Uh, Rachel Weiss was uh, once again Terrific. stellar. Florence Pugh, though, man, she star, like took star, it. star, took star, it. star. star. You had obviously Scarlett Johansson. So another incredibly talented actor. You have these four together and you're going to have magic, except that the storyline, Mike, the premise in itself of this film just seemed a little dry to me. I wasn't really interested in the relationship with this put together family of spies back in the 90s in Ohio. Uh, and I just wasn't in, enveloped or, or enraptured by that storyline. I didn't like the family drama and how it collided with the Marvel universe. Marvel's definitely going in a different direction than the last 10, 11, you know, Marvel movies that they've done. This didn't even feel like a Marvel movie, Mike. This movie felt like 
a James Bond thriller. First of all, I think what Marvel has done that is smart in these movies is every film, just like the comic books themselves, has its own tone. It has its own feeling. You know, the Avengers is kind of blending together everybody's sensibilities that come from their different films together. And they had to give some kind of identity for Black Widow. And Black Widow is essentially a spy. And to me, I don't think they'll ever beat The Winter Soldier, because that's still probably my favorite Marvel movie. But I think that they were trying to, and hopefully I won't get killed for saying this, but I think movie makers are still wrestling with how to make a memorable female heroine, how to appeal to the female audience and the male audience at the same time and make it commercial yet aware have sensitivity yet action i agree with you the the family stuff it just it seemed to go on too long it well first and, of all it's an origin film and every and any origin film is going to have too much exposition meaning that it's going to have too much dialogue explaining the depth the origins the beginnings the whys the hows of this character that you've loved so much and that's the part that I think most origin movies fail in because they still haven't been able to figure out how to, I mean, I think Iron Man, the original Iron Man was probably the closest, you know, maybe the first original Superman, they were able to do that. I think they did a decent job with Man of Steel, but if your writer isn't doing memorable quotes that you say out of the theater, you're going to have a pretty flat exposition. And I think that the exposition here was a little too long and, and it wasn't interesting enough to drive me to care so much of those dramatic moments that were coming later in the film. Well, what's ironic about you saying that is I feel like they were going out of their way to try and get you to care, putting in all that drama, putting in all those personal interactions and personal moments mm -hmm. and, and crying and laughing and all these things. I'm like, what am I watching? Exactly. This is like, this is us, you know? And I'm like, what is going on here? I just wasn't expecting that. It didn't feel like a Marvel movie. It felt like a Netflix series. That's, yeah. That's what it felt like. It felt like... At least those moments, because it did have the action sequences had tremendous scale. I mean, that's where fantastic. you get your Marvel money. They were fantastic. The, the villain Taskmaster, I was like, yo, Taskmaster is one of the more memorable villains that I can remember. It was the only time within the film that I felt that Black Widow, Scarlett Johansson, was in real threat. The other thing that I truly enjoyed here, Mike, was, man... How often do you see a movie with just women on the screen? I love that. And female stunt work, man, was unbelievable. And I was like, this is refreshing. This feels new. There's an energy to it. And I'm like, why wasn't Black Widow the first movie out of the gate? You know, Marvel really screwed up here, man. They totally mishandled the way they introduced the character. The, they, they mishandled the death in the Avengers and this movie in particular, Mike, brings in a lot of baggage from fandom that are still trying to figure out why Scarlett Johansson died. And there was really no whether she was coming back. What was the backstory about that? It just seems like they just wanted to forget about the character and move on. And then we get her here 
And it's not until the end, end credits, so stick around for that, that we truly finally get some sort of response over her death in the Avengers Endgame. This movie takes place right after Civil War, I believe, and before the beginning of Endgame. So this is, it's going back in time, which is fine, because at this point, you know, superhero movies can take place any point in time, which, which works. But... Because this, in many ways, this is her eighth time playing Black Widow. And since 2010, at a certain point, just like all, just like Downey, all of them, they're all eventually going to age out and you have to do something new. This is, in many ways, they kind of owed her her own origin story. Everybody wanted it. Uh, I don't even know why it didn't happen. And this now is without giving too much away, in many ways, the passing of the torch. Because we're going to see a new Avengers. We're going to see all these new heroes coming up. And heroes who only started in Phase 3 now will get more movies in Phase 4. So it's interesting to see where things are going. Like you, I really, I like the premise of this. I, you, you didn't love the whole spy thing? Yeah, I like that. Look, to me, the premise was about a woman returning to her old family that wasn't really a family. It was just a bunch of agents put together in a house to play a role. I just did, I didn't think that it struck a good balance, Mike, between the family drama and the Marvel universe. I just I just felt like I was seeing two different films all patched up into one. Well, I agree with you 100 percent. It's the performances. I watched that film. And even at the points where it was getting kind of ridiculous, I I marveled in how good these people were. They were so freaking good. Now, Florence Pugh, I, I've liked her for a minute now. She was more interesting, much more interesting, actually, than Scarlett Johansson in this film, just in terms of her pulling off such a what would be, you know, this, you know, Russian accent she puts on because she is Russian. And but she she pulled <laughs> she, she did that quite well. She did. <laughs> you know, I watch these movies. Yeah. <laughs> I've seen movie Russians are always like oh this. Oh, my God. Commander. Dude, Commander. Disney animation. Please, please get this man saying, a job <laughs> right now. I'm just saying I know that, you know, and then I've seen bad Russian accents. And but she pulls this character off. Not unlike uh, what's her name did in uh, My Cousin Vinny. Marissa Tomei. In My Cousin Vinny, she plays what could easily be a one note character and gives it a lot of nuance. And I feel her playing this badass, you know, cold-blooded, trained killer, Russian operative. I, I thought she brought a lot to it. I bought, I bought her as the character. Interestingly though, you know, I was reading a couple of reviews and several of them pointed out an interesting pattern here, Mike. And I kind of wanted to get your thoughts on this. Scarlett Johansson's Black Widow. Now let's talk about it for one second. She's been around for, I believe, eight movies, right? At some point, she had to retire the character. We've seen how the New York Giants treated Eli Manning. We've seen how the New York Knicks have treated some of their star athletes like Patrick Ewing. Something about certain people, certain companies, certain leaders just sometimes don't know how to handle women. You brought it up a little while ago, the topic of how they probably don't know how to manage female characters and female superheroes, right? And I think they botched Black Widow, Mike. I think Disney botched Black Widow. First of all, 
Black Widow should have been their first female movie. The one, the first one that Marvel should have put out, it should have been Black Widow. Unfortunately, it wasn't, and DC beat them to the punch by putting out Wonder Woman. So now you have Marvel coming out with Captain Marvel, and you're still kind of waiting, like going, but wait a minute, isn't Black Widow an Avenger? Why do all the men have solo films and we're now in 2021 after me too after time's up we're now just getting black widow this kick-ass badass character number two the controversy about her death in endgame who does she give herself up to a dude right a dude that most people don't even like in hawkeye with jeremy renner she kills herself in you don't really know anything else after she disappears, except, you know, where was she? In the meantime, Iron Man is getting one of the greatest send-offs in cinematic history with the full all-star cast there for Iron Man, but not even a funeral for Black Widow in the film? So already it's like weird. And then we see the film and it's the end credit that finally answers that controversy and you left it at the end of a credit? And I wonder if those are sexist, unconscious bias moves by men in power who just feel like women should be treated like that. But then again, it's not happening over at DC because Wonder Woman right now is the one that's revitalizing all of their... So I don't know if it's a Marvel sexist thing or if it's a male thing. I don't know, Mike, but... It's just fairly interesting. First of all, I think let's look at the female superhero genre. And there are only a few uh, female characters who've had their own books. I don't think Black Widow ever really had her own book. She was always a partner to somebody. At some point, she was with... But you're talking about the comic books. I'm Screw talking the about comic the comic books. Yeah, I'm talking about let's the comic books. Let's talk about books, the cinematic... Stay with me. Stay with me. I, I'm talking about the comic books because the comic books are what inspire the movies. So, you know, you take these characters who had their own book and had their own following and then give them a movie. Now, Black Widow never had her own book, really. Like I said, she she was dating Daredevil for a while. And, and I know the, the actor who plays Daredevil on the Netflix show wants a crossover film. But look at the history of superhero films, uh, female superhero films. And Well, you had Superwoman. You've had your fun, Selena. The game is finished. You had the Wonder Woman character on television. had the bionic woman i am a highly trained osi agent and i have very special capabilities no i'm just talking about you said movies we're just talking about movies ah, now okay all right talk about movies the Supergirl that did not work Catwoman. that did not work harley quinn that did not work what about the one with jennifer gardner electra that did not work okay so uh and and even the second wonder woman did not work well, I'll put an asterisk on that one. All right. Well, you know, in my opinion, it did not work. They've even started giving women uh, writers and directors the power because this film was someone that, that, from what I understand, Scarlett Johansson handpicked. She never did a big budget film before. And I think there's this perception of what a chick flick is, okay, and why women go to the movies. And then 
what a superhero film is and why people go to the superhero movies. And like you said, I don't think they found the right balance yet. It's I think Wonder Woman probably did it best so far. The first Wonder Woman in that epic story and, and making her fish out of water. I think that, that worked. But you tell me, you name another female superhero film that really worked. Listen, Captain Marvel hit a billion dollars. And what were the reviews like? Mixed, mixed, mixed to good. I would say mixed to good. It wasn't terrible. And what did you think of it? It was not terrible. No, no, no. I, I liked it? it. You know, it's hard to kind of juxtapose her and Black Widow. I think that's apples and oranges. You know, Black Widow's an Avenger man, and she should be the queen of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And I just think Marvel's mishandled it to the point that, honestly, they shouldn't be touching any fem more female movies right now, man. DC is definitely the place to go to watch female superhero movies. What can we expect from this interview that we're about to listen to? The the things that struck me most is, like I said, he he his music is a blend of music styles, different kinds of music. It's very strong Latino influence, very strong African influence, but also influence of other things. And the thing that really struck me, I mentioned he was classically trained and he talks about this in the interview. We talk not only about the music, but we talk about, you know, his training and how he fell in love with the music. And he told me something I thought was very interesting. And he went to a conservatory of music in the Dominican Republic. And I asked him, wow, so, you know, what did they teach you about bachata and, and uh, merengue? And he didn't learn any of that there. That was all outside of conservatory. I can tell you why. And, and, and just to give some, some context to that, if, if you might not know, Mike. And, and it sucks to say, man, but I think this is where he's coming from. Because as Latinos, in Colombia, you have the folklore music of the country. Folk music of any country is considered the people's music. As you know, we live in elitist societies and folk music is never really embraced by the academia elite, right? Bachata, merengue is considered ghetto music to the elite Dominicans there. So if you're going to teach the high concept art, the traditional classic art, it's not going to be, you know, bachata and merengue, which is essentially created by African music. It has all the beats from the mestizos and the Spaniards all mixed in into one. And it's beautiful music, but like with everything, Mike, anything that we frame negatively becomes negative to many people. And so I think that it's maybe about time that we start reframing folk music as crucial to the identity of musicians from their country. Que el cariño me 
tiene bandera. Papale, 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 no tiene color, religión ni frontera. And this is Mike Sargent here for Brown and Black, and I'm with Yasser Tejeda, who's got a new EP that is really reflective of a musical journey he's been taking that discovers his roots, that connects him to the African roots that, well, let's just say a lot of our music, when I say our, I'm going to say people of color because... We try to put it together, both being African descent and of Latin descent. But Yasser, welcome to Brown and Black. Hello, Mike. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here with you. Please tell me how you first came to know you wanted to do music at all with your life. Um, the first time I knew I wanted to do music, it was basically watching MTV. I remember seeing uh, when I saw Jimi Hendrix and I saw a slash from Guns N' Roses. I was like, I want to play guitar like that. I want to be, I want to be like them. And I was like 11 years old. And then I convinced my mom to buy, to buy a small guitar. We had to save some money, got the guitar. And then I started learning by myself. And then I got like exposed to a lot of uh, different kind of music. Because in my house, my father used to listen a lot of different type of music from Cuba, the Beatles, a lot of music from Dominican Republic too, like Juan Luis Guerra, etc., etc. So I always have music around, but I knew I wanted to play guitar since the beginning, got the guitar, started learning by myself, then got a, a teacher that used to go every week to teach me guitar and I learned to play a little bit of classical music then like popular music then jazz and then from there I went to the conservatory in DR and expanded more the knowledge and expanded more of uh, my musical taste de nuestra isla para los caribeños fuente infinita busca tus raíces que esa es la verdad de nuestra mezcla la unión ancestral You know, you said something there about expanding your knowledge and expanding your taste. And, and to me, it sort of brings up the notion that the more you learn about culture, about music, the more you open yourself up to different kinds of music, doesn't that end up enriching the kind of art you're going to create? Yeah. And the cool thing is, like, I wasn't limited to anything. In the beginning, when I started, I was limited. I, I wanted to do just heavy music like rock and hardcore. But then when I started learning more and expanding the knowledge, 
I started checking like funk music, R&B, then jazz, all this amazing music that I was like, oh, this is incredible. And that inspired me in a way too, because I started checking out more, getting more albums, cassettes back then, et cetera, et cetera. Now, you also mentioned that you went to the conservatory, and this is in Dominican Republic. Most people know the Min Dominican Republic for merengue, bachata. W what, what did you learn there, and, and what were they teaching you? Yeah, and the conservatory is a lot, there's a lot, they call it popular music. They have two departments, the classical music and the popular music. And it's great in a way, but it's weird in a way too, because it's great you get exposed to jazz and Latin music and all, all over the world. But I didn't learn, for example, merengue in the conservatory. It was everything was more focused to jazz and American music or European music, but mm. our music. <laughs> um, <laughs> that's, that's does that strike you as strange or? For me back then, it was cool because I was like a sponge absorbing everything. Mm. But what took me to learn music from Dominican Republic, it was starting to play and work with other artists that were doing Dominican fusion music and Afro-Dominican music. And with them, I started learning of that. Like with one of the artists that I started playing is, her name is Xiomara Fortuna. And she is incredible. And she's been, her career has 40 years of uh, recording and doing music of Dominican Republic, like folkloric music or traditional music. And she fused that with jazz and rock and uh, a lot of different cool influences. And that's how I get to know a little bit of Dominican roots music and playing with her. There's another artist called Luis Diaz. He's, he was like the Jimi Hendrix or Bob Dylan of Dominican Republic. And with him, I learned a lot and I had the privilege to play with him and hang for like two years, four days a week. And I learned a lot through them playing with Irka Mateo, with Tone Vicioso, with Jose Duluc. Those are artists uh, from another generation that have been doing music, making fusions with that traditional roots music of Dominican Republic. And with those, I got inspired and learned. And then the first time I went to the countryside and experienced that, those celebrations, the drums, the the colors, the, the food, everything, I was shocked because I didn't know that that existed in the island. I only knew merengue and bachata. And back then, for me and for people of my generation or class, whatever, it wasn't like that cool to play that. <laughs> I don't know why. <laughs> this new album that you have coming, which you called Kohimbo? Yeah, Kihombo is already Kihombo. out. The album that is coming out is an EP of three songs that I recorded acoustic, just guitar and vocals. And I do two songs from Kihombo, just acoustic version, just to show a naked way of those songs, but still keep keeping the essence of those. And there's a new song there. But in Kihombo, 
there's a lot of exploration of those Dominican roots rhythm, those Afro-Dominican rhythms. Por ahí, por ahí, por ahí nada Mira qué bonito viene el sol de la madrugada. Por ahí, por ahí, por ahí nada Mira qué bonito viene el sol de la madrugada. Cielo, fuego, aire, tierra y mar, acuarela de colores que me brinda tu mirar. Sueño de tus rayos florecer, de esperanza de un mañana que ya vuelve a renacer. Hearing that music from the EP, it was very evocative, very emotional. Uh, I don't, you know, I mean, I know a little bit of Spanish. I don't even know necessarily what all the lyrics are, but I could feel what you were singing about and what you're playing. So it was, to me, it was very emotional. But one track in particular, you had some liner notes, uh, the one that translates in English to the early morning sun. Can you give me a little bit of the history behind the song? Yes. Basically, that song, I was inspired in this chant that happened in the mountains of the countryside of Dominican Republic. And this investigator, researcher, he, he was, uh, like, we are fortunate that he kind of collected those chants. And we're talking about chants that we're seeing, like, in the late 1800s, 1900s. And he put a book out that was in 1920. And that chant is there. And the first time I heard it, I felt like a crazy connection with it. And I was like, I really love this chant. I want to make a song around it. And I took a little bit of the melody and shape it and changed a little bit of the lyrics. And then the verses I expanded. I did my own verses. And that's what inspired me. And... On those chants, you can hear like the mix of the indigenous Taino vibes with the mix of the Spanish tradition too and, and, and African. It's acoustic, so you won't feel it, but I think you will get the emotion. Absolutely got the emotion. Now, let me ask you a little bit about the the concept behind this EP, because when people hear Latin music, you know, they're just like uh, Latin people are not monolithic. Latin music, you know, there are all kinds of influences. The African influences is something I want to come back to, but there is definitely a long history of Latino guitarists, uh, guitarists who are of Latin descent. These are some amazing guitarists. They take what is being done on Latin guitar or acoustic guitar and do an electric guitar and just the blending and the fusion. What do you have to say about that fusion and why did you want to put out this EP? As a guitar player, I wanted to do this fusion, like, cause in guitar you can do, you can do a lot of things. You can do the chords, you can do melody, but you can do rhythm too. You can play percussion in the guitar. And one of the artists that I used to play that I mentioned that his name is Luis Diaz, he used to call a way of playing the guitar, guitambor, like the 
guitar percussion, guitambor. So I got a lot of that influence to play the guitar kind of like a, a guitar, but a percussion as well, like playing those those rhythms. And that's why I wanted to do the acoustic version to incorporate some of the rhythms that are played in the drums, in the percussions, and just play it on the strings and make that connection with that too. Acoustic guitar is always seems a lot more emotional to me. And even without just a guitar and voice. There's just so much I feel you can do. What do you get out of playing guitar? You know, some people describe doing their art as, as almost a meditative or a state, a prayerful state. Oh man, it's like, it's like therapy almost. It's the meditation for sure. It's like, if I, I, if I don't play for at least two hours every day, I get crazy. So I get like all the, the emotions and I really like the electric guitar too, and I really love Jimi Hendrix. So I have that side of playing too. Uh, I love playing merengue and high energy Dominican music, merengue and bachata, for example, that is heavy guitar driven. And I love playing a lot of those. And it's like when I'm playing that, it's like oh, it's a feeling of adrenaline because it's. You go, you sweat because you're kind of dancing too, <laughs> and yeah, you depending on the style that you play, and you have all these different feelings. But it's definitely like a, it's definitely like a therapy, and um, I love it. There's one track, and I know we're talking about the EP, but there's one track from another album, Papa Boko, and it definitely, to me, I say like, okay, I definitely can hear that you liked Hendrix. Tell me a little bit about that track. Oh, that track is the only cover of that album, Quijombo. And it's from a composer uh, called Manuel Sanchez Acosta. And it's a merengue. And I'm doing like a fusion of merengue, but with rock and like a progressive merengue and putting a little bit of bachata in there. It's crazy because that was my first arrangement that I did for that album. And I wanted to do a really high energy merengue that is different, making the fusion of rock and roll and a little bit of R&B, but with bachata, making that connection that there's no limit in music and they shouldn't be limit, limits us as human beings. There shouldn't be limits of like race or politics or, or religion. And on that album, there's one song that we talk about that. And that's basically what we're trying to do with this music is showing that music doesn't have borders or limits that we can play merengue with R&B, play merengue with rock and roll, play a merengue that goes, there's a song called Swing Ripiao that goes from merengue, traditional merengue to swing. you can hear a little bit of rhythm changes. You can get a little bit of a vibe of gospel too, because I play in a, I play guitar for a gospel church and there's so many connections with that. And that's why I loved when I received the invitation to this podcast, I was like, I love this because we are so connected. And at the same time, there seems to be 
a disconnection because people think we come from different places. At the same time, we have this connections that goes beyond us that is shown in the music. You know I agree with you. Now, I also want to ask you a little bit more about, you know, you talked about the connection, you talked about fusion. What has been your experience in discovering the African roots of Dominican music, the Congolese connection? Tell me a little bit about that and learning that connection, what it did for you and how you think it could change just the way we look at ourselves. Learning the connection for me was fascinating because it kind of happened organically and it happened even with albums that uh that my dad used to listen and i wasn't even into that journey yet for example there's an album from juan luis guerra that is the most famous merengue singer of dominican republic and he did one album called fogarate and he did it with diblo divala that is a, a congolese guitar player that he plays sucus So that, from there, you start seeing the connection of African-style guitar with Dominican music, with merengue, for example. And once I started seeing more of the rhythms of Dominican Republic and the celebrations and being in the countryside and checking these beautiful dances, beautiful drumming, the colors, the way that people are and they, they re receive you and you feel the warmth and you feel like this is heavy African things. And it's really cool in, in the Dominican part, depending on what rhythm we're talking about, but almost all of the African rhythms, all of the Afro-Dominican rhythms, you have the African element on the drums, but then you hear melodies that has some Spanish elements. And then you see some instruments like the maracas or different ways of playing that are Taino influence. And then you see this whole connection that we have. And then you, I don't know, see music from Morocco that they play a type of music with panderos. And you're like, this is similar to what they play in Villamella, Salve de Villamella. So you see this strong connections and what I was trying to do is connecting using my instrument that I play that is the guitar and making those connections with the guitar and with the music that I I have a lot of influence to and even that helped me to research because I think thanks to the music is why I learned more of the traditional music of Dominican Republic. Because if I wasn't a musician, if I, if I was just a doctor and I stay like in the capital and just lived a regular life, I wouldn't knew, I wouldn't known anything of the stuff we're talking about. I would probably see it and see like, oh, okay, that's cool. But since I'm a musician and I saw this, I was like, oh my God, I need to, I need to research more and I need to go more deep in the countryside and see the connections that we have and see these rhythms and these celebrations that are kept from generations and generations for like 400 years. And it's so beautiful how 
how the elderly passes those generations to the younger. And you see the kids playing drums. You can see the elderly playing. You can see middle-aged dancing. You can see the, the whole spectrum of um, how the celebrations are. So that gave me a lot of inspiration and energy to keep researching and to inject that in my music so I can put a stamp of this is original music that comes from where I come from, from Dominican Republic, that comes with a background that has more than 300 years of fight, of, um, of fight, of, you know, abundance of richness mm. in the culture. So mm. I wanted to put a stamp all on that and present it in the world that I'm lucky that I'm here in New York and I can play shows outside and there will be people from all over the world. And these are things that I talk between songs and during the sets. And so people approach me from different backgrounds and they're what they're, they're telling me, wow, I didn't know that existed in Dominican Republic. And that was, that is my goal with this music that I'm doing. And it's, it's more like to inspire younger generations to even inspire the diaspora of people that probably born here and they didn't know some of this stuff existed. Some of these rich, rich cultural factors ex existed. And that's basically the goal of, of it, that the music will speak itself and will motivate people to check more stuff out and, And that's something that I kind of live for. I make music for that. And even talking about that, it, it gives me goosebumps because I'm passing my music, but more than that, I'm passing traditions and I'm passing interest to people that are like, that are saying, oh, wow, this is like that. I would love to go there and see this and this, or I will go on YouTube and check it out more of this. And yeah, it's it's part of it. And something that make me do that too is that even in our own country certain people marginalize these rhythms and these styles that are not merengue and bachata because there's some more way more complex theoretical thing they say that that's not ours that come from haiti and blah 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 blah. Mm. but that's really that's really dominican and it's and it's in the whole island the beautiful thing is like you have in this island and depending on what region you are you see and hear different rhythms in depending on what time of the year so it's it's so rich and that's basically the goal of the project the goal of my music and and the goal of doing this fusion not comparing it but making the relationship with different african music and making it one like we are we are a combination of a lot of things but we are one wow it's sort of like storytelling you know a lot of traditions are passed down from storytelling and the music like you said spoke to you and the music beckoned you to dig deeper find out more about me and as you do it also allowed you to find out more about yourself about your culture about why the music was created the beauty of the land inspires you to create so that's the real circle of life 
do you say to young musicians or musicians coming up or those who are quick to dismiss music that is so culturally rich? You know, think outside the box and do what you feel in your heart too and be open to any style of music or any type of music that people show you because you will learn something else from other cultures or you even your own culture so just keep yourself open and yeah now where can people find all of your music and and what albums should they look for we mentioned the ep that's coming out so tell give give us a little bit of your catalog so people can find you you can find me on spotify and all the digital platforms you can write yacer tejeda and you will see two albums. My most recent album, that is Kihombo, that was released in 2019. Then my first album, that is called Mezclanza, that it was released in uh, 2009. And then you'll see my single that just released today, um, El Sol de la Madruga, The Early Morning Sun, that is part of the new acoustic EP that I will put out on June 25th. And another one that talks about that love is universal and there's no limit of religion, of color, of flag, or, or borders. That one is called Amor Arayano. music and well i want to thank you for taking the time yes here I, I i like i said i'm a fan now and now i've i've listened to a bunch of your stuff and uh i'm gonna have to go back to hear your first album yeah thank you thank you and yeah everybody can all the listeners can find me on instagram just Tejeda, twitter just Tejeda, all the social media i'm there we can be in touch and if you are interested if you are a listener and you are interested to what i've I've been talking about, feel free to follow me on social media or go to my website and send me a message. And I'm really glad to help out or create a community of people that like my music, but like the idea of learning more about the roots of Dominican Republic, because that's something that I'm trying to push forward and do more projects beside the music. Um, I do a little bit of teaching too for schools where I talk about a little bit more in depth of ish rhythms and ish traditions from different parts of the countryside. And hopefully when everything comes back to normal, I want to start doing trips with groups that are interested in this part of the music and the culture and education and taking them and take it to those amazing communities. So it can be a win-win situation of the people that are going and the people that are living there and are keeping the traditions, but they are not in a good shape economically because these are 
people from communities that have been marginalized. If you go there, they will definitely serve you food, coffee, bring, you know, <laughs> invite you for rum and keep, okay. you know, and dance and keep it happy. Cafe uh, leche. Thank you, Yasser. I definitely hope that uh, we can talk to you again. So, yeah, man. And, I, and I'm down to take one of those trips, I'll tell you. So. Oh, yeah, definitely. I'll keep you posted. That's it for this 53rd episode of Brown and Black. We'd like to thank Yasser Tejada for coming on the show. If you would like to support this podcast, please subscribe and leave a review. Your help will allow us to be heard by many more people. This episode was edited by Joshua Tirado. You can follow our comments and opinions on at Brown Black Podcast on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. We'll see you on the next episode of Brown and Black. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.